0: Well, last week we left off at Daniel chapter 1, the last verse there, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, and now we are in chapter 2, which begins in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And what we see here is that even great kings, they wake up troubled, they experience nightmares. Great kings are like us, they are great, but they have troubles also. And although King Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, he had built a glorious and frightening empire. He had conquered nations. He had subdued kings. As Daniel 1 tells us, he had conquered the king of Judah. And countless kings all around the world at that time. And he had numerous servants at his service. But this great king is now conquered by a frightening dream. And this dream tortures him. He's looking for peace. He's looking for answers. He wants to know the meaning of this dream. If you've gone through Daniel, you will know that this is um, the first of of two dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had. Here we come first and foremost to the king's trouble. And the king does what every other king and every other ruler would do. Daniel tells us that he issues a command. He commands that those who are to serve him in specific roles should be summoned to him. These are the wise men of Babylon. And this group included the priests, the soothsayers, the astrologers, the fortune tellers, those who were the advisors of the king. And Daniel and his friends were captured for this purpose, to serve the king. It was, it was the business of this wise men. It was what the king paid them for. And so they are brought before the king. And they are standing before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar presents to them his request. In fact, it's a demand that he presents to them. And it is a strange demand. And he repeats this demand three times in verses 3 five to six, and eight to nine. And what he's telling them is this. What he's demanding of them is simple. Well, probably not simple. I had a dream. Tell me that dream and tell me the meaning of the dream. It's not just, you know, this is the dream I had. Now you can tell me the meaning. It is, first tell me that dream and tell me the meaning, interpret it for me the second time he, he repeats this um, demand he promises them he gives them a reward if you do this in verse five then you will receive gifts and rewards and great honor from me that's verse six but in verse five also he gives a punishment if you don't you will be destroyed. You can imagine that. A king summons you and says he had a dream. They tell me the meaning of the dream. Or first tell me the dream, then it's meaning. And if you don't, I will destroy you. The third time he is getting angry, in eight to nine, he takes away the reward. And here he accuses them of buying time. Of trying to gain time. And in fact, he goes further than that. He accuses them of lying. You know, it was their business to. They were magicians, some of them. And so it was easy if they had a dream presented to them, they could interpret it anyway. And here he's saying, Oh, I thought you guys were powerful, I thought you were knowledgeable, but it seems. You have been deceivers all this while. And each time he makes this demand, they give him a response. They give him the normal response every human being will give to such a demand. And we see their response in 4, 7, and 11. And what they tell the king is this. Yes, we know you are the king. You are the great king. You are the one who has built this empire and you are able to ask for us anything. But you see this demand, it is very difficult, and frankly it is impossible. Well you could at least give us the dream. Then the interpretation will be straightforward. And in verse 11, they tell the king that no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. We will come back to that verse. But I just want us to have in mind that what these men did, their great deal, their business was to predict the future. They had, in a sense... The attacks of discerning patterns. They they attempted to see future events. But they claim no direct access to the gods. As I say here in verse 11. And at this point, the king is thrown into a violent rage. He's angry, he's furious. Verse 12. The king was angry and furious. And again, he does what every king does when he's angry. He gives a command. And the command here is to carry out the punishment that he had promised. To completely wipe out this man. And Daniel and his companions were also to be killed. They were caught, in a sense, in this world. But as I paused on this verse 12 down to verse 16, it was quite interesting to see the, the contrast between the king's anger and Daniel's wisdom and prudence. You see Daniel replies with replies to the to the captain of the king's guard with wisdom. Whereas the king is very furious, very angry. But this this is not the main point of this passage, but the Bible often contrasts anger and wisdom. And we know from experience how anger ruins everything. We know from experience how anger separates friends. How anger breaks marriages. How anger splits churches. You know, you are angry, and the first thing you want to do is to punch something. How anger destroys people. James says anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. It doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. But in contrast to the wisdom that Daniel shows here, James also says wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, full of mercy, And good fruits. Daniel responds in anger. I wonder what the king would accomplish by his anger. Would the anger, you know, would would destroy this man. Actually give him the answer that he needs. No. But that's what anger does. And this wisdom from God. And leads Daniel further to make a request. He makes a request which is granted to him. He tells the king, Well, just give me a time. Give me a time and I would meet your demand. And the king grants Daniel's request. And so Daniel goes to his friends. I was tempted to pause and ask myself, well, where do you go to? Do you have friends that you go to when you're worried? And Well, you know, there are probably some friends you never want to go to when you're worried, when there is danger inside. But Daniel and his friends were human after all. And possibly they were anxious. The text doesn't tell us but they are humans. They have been given a death sentence. And the only way to escape this death sentence is going to be by miracle. And Daniel tells his friends to seek mercy from the God of heaven. You see, in chapter 1, Daniel and his friends have been given favor and compassion by God. And that's the word compassion is what is translated to mercy here. And they turn to this same God for mercy. And that is exactly what God does. God spares them from destruction through his mercy by revealing the dream to Daniel. And here the, the revelation that Daniel receives he calls it a mystery. And this mystery is the contents of the king's dream and its interpretation. And that's what happens that very night when Daniel goes on his knees and prays to God. And what the wise men had said was impossible. God had revealed to Daniel. If we look at our text, there are some words that are repeated in verse 18. In verse 19, in verse 28, we see the God of heaven. In verse 19, we see the mystery. We also see reviewed. And down in verse 47, we see mysteries, revealed mystery. And this, in a sense, gives us a clue on how to really understand and appreciate what is going on here. You see, the wise men of Babylon had told the king that no one could show this to the king or to them except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. But Daniel says, there is a God in heaven. Yes, he is in heaven. He transcends, he's far above human beings. for he is a God that still reveals mysteries. The gods of Babylon do not speak to men. But the God of heaven, the God of Israel, speaks to men. He is a God that communicates to men. The Babylonian gods had no contact with men. In fact, no one expected them to speak. If you remember the scene on the mountain with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Well, Elijah challenged them to call on their gods. And he began to make mockery of them when they didn't answer. Says, Maybe he's sleeping. Try to wake him up. Maybe he's taking a vacation. But there was no voice, no one to answer. But when Elijah called on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he answers his prophet. And through the whole Bible, this is what we see. In Psalm 115, the psalmist says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. But the gods of the nations, they have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They do not speak to people, to men. And down in verse 26, as I looked at this, uh, where Daniel stands in front of the king, And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was beers We remember in chapter 1 that Daniel's name had been changed. From the name that was given to him by his parents, dedicated to the God of Israel. To a name dedicated to the God of the Babylonians. And it's possible that Daniel is again reminding us of that contrast between the God of Israel and the Babylonian gods. Their gods do not speak, but the God in heaven speaks. And as we read our Bible, we come to Hebrews chapter 1, where we are reminded that long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, what seems to be a mystery to, to the king and what probably seems to be a mystery to us from Genesis to Malachi is God speaking to us and ultimately God speaking to us in Christ, who is the fulfillment of all that God has said. You see, biblical prophecy is not a product of private analysis. It's not a product of private interpretation. Yes, men speak from God. But as Peter says, they speak when they are carried along by the Spirit. Now, it is not like the focus of Babylonian where clever people apply their wisdom and, you know, their experience to understand what is going on. And the, the reason why, why I want us to really understand this is so that many of us will be shielded fr- from the obsession of new prophecies and revelations and all that is going on around. And, you know, people are running from place to place to know what is God saying today? What is He saying tomorrow? What is going on? And people so become detached from their Bible. And what they are seeking is to hear something new. I don't know if you've heard of of palm reading. The people that you know specialize in reading palms. And these practitioners, what they do is, you know, they're trying to interpret maybe your character, fortune, possible future events. And all that will happen to you. And yesterday, I had <laughs> I a guy online just say, well, this is actually biblical. Palm reading. And I did a quick search. Like, there was nothing about palm reading. And the lady interviewing him was nodding and agreeing with him. And you see people running to them, wanting to hear something, seeking prophecies. Or on the other hand, those who would say, well, my pastor has said this the prophet has said this, and that settles it for me. Well, it is important for us to, to listen to our pastors, but they are not the ultimate authority. If something that I say here contradicts God's word, I plead you, please reject it. If something, a pastor, someone you revere, says and contradicts God's word. But how are we going to know something that contradicts God's word if we are not faithful students of the Bible? And that's one of the reasons why we... We are running from place to place seeking something new because we haven't come to actually look at and understand what God has said. And yes, we need wisdom to apply it to our individual situations. But the answers we seek are not on our palms, they are not in our hands. Answers we seek are in God's word. God has spoken. He is not a mute God. And he still speaks to us today. But we can't say God is silent when we have our Bibles closed. And that's why I wanted after a long time for us to, you know, have the church Bibles with us. You see, another thing that keeps us from from God's word is is the sin in our life. See, as someone said, either sin keeps you from the Bible or the Bible keeps you from sin. You know those times when you really spend time in 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 God's word and you know those times that for various reasons, definitely. But at times, it's because our hearts are far from it. So if we're going to know the God of heaven who speaks, we have to listen to what he spoke to us and through which he still speaks to us today. And so Daniel goes goes on and As he stands before the king, in verse 20 to 23, he gives praise to God. Um, Spend time on that. But as he stands before the king, he tells the king is the very source of, of the dream and its interpretation. He tells the king that the source is not from him, Daniel, or his wisdom, but it is from the God of heaven. He goes on to tell the king that the purpose is that a king may know may know his thoughts and what is to happen. Now, I could imagine Daniel standing before the king and the king running to you know, praise Daniel and, and honor him and say you, know, you you are such a wonderful man, Daniel. But again, Daniel is quick to divert attention from himself and give glory to God. And in verse 31 to 45, uh, what we have there is Daniel sharing this dream to the king and giving him the interpretation of the dream. So here we come to um, what is, in a sense, the main point of this chapter. You so see, the king had woken frightened, scared. He wanted to know what was going on. Where, was someone coming to, to take his kingdom from him? This kingdom that he had built with his power and his mind. And Daniel tells him, O king, you saw a great image. And this great image was made of precious metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And all these were divided into four parts. The head is made of fine gold, verse 32. The chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs, You are made of bronze. And its legs and feet, iron and partly clay. And the king will imagine to himself, well, what does this actually mean? What is this head made of gold? What does it actually mean? And Daniel is quick to tell him, that head of gold is you, O king. And you can imagine how Nebuchadnezzar will be so happy, so joyful. Yes, I am the gold. You are the head of gold. But again, Daniel tells him, Well, you might be the head of gold. But the source of your kingdom, its power and glory, and all you think you probably have amassed were given to you by the God of heaven. So, this is the king who has been issuing commands, commanding people do this, do that. There were people at his service. All nations around the world feared him, he had authority. But that authority was given to him from above. Remember Pilate, when Jesus stood before him? Pilate said, don't you think that I have the authority to do whatever I want to do with you? What did Jesus tell him? You have no authority over me at all, unless it has been given to you from above. You see, the rulers of this world, the rulers of the nations of the world, do not have ultimate authority. They can do whatever they want to do, but there is one who has not only given them the authority to rule, but one who has authority over them. And now I'm tempted to to go, you know, to, to say some, certain things. But you can imagine at times when our rulers stand up and say certain things, and you ask yourself, honestly, who does this man think he is? And they believe they can do anything they want to do. But here, Daniel is reminding the king, or bringing to his attention, But again, that doesn't mean that we should be rebellious citizens. No. In Romans 13, Paul reminds us to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those who exist have been instituted by God. Yes, they do not have ultimate authority. But we should recognize that the authority they do have is from God. And we ought to obey them as long as it's not disobeying God. Now, from the head of gold, Daniel tells him that there is another kingdom that will come of silver, And silver is, in a sense, inferior to to gold. But this kingdom is going to take over the whole world. It's going to replace this head of gold. And then there is another kingdom after that, which is inferior to, to you, Daniel says to the king. the one of the middle and tires of bronze. And then finally, a fourth kingdom with legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Partly iron and partly clay. And this kingdom will be a brutal kingdom. This kingdom will be one that shatters and breaks all things. Yet this kingdom will be fragile and will not hold together. Now the king is troubled, truly. Because he sees that his kingdom will not be forever. He sees that his kingdom will come to an end. He sees that there is... An authority above his, and these four, four kingdoms—they've um, been traditionally identified as Babylon, medo um the kingdom that um, Daniel also lived in, and Greece, and finally Rome. But whatever you think of that, that's uh, not the point of the point that I'm getting to. But I just want us to to look at three key things about these kingdoms. One, they are great kingdoms, and they have different degrees of strength. But again, they have limited time. No matter how long or short, every earthly kingdom ends. All human kingdoms fall, one after the other. And it's God that raises them, and it's God that brings them down. God removes kings and sets up kings. And again, their power, their authority comes from God. This should give us hope for today. In Daniel chapter 1, we reminded ourselves that God is the sovereign God who is in control of all things. And even when his people had disobeyed him and refused to turn back in repentance after all the warnings, their expulsion. Or they are being captured and sent into exile, was still in God's control. And it was God who had raised Nebuchadnezzar to do that. And in verse 21, God also raised King Cyrus, who issued the decree that the Jews can go back and build their temple. For many of us who are um, from Nigeria, and we are so worried what is going to happen next year. And I try to make a lot of joke about it because when you think about it, it's as if your head is going to explode. And you know of what is going on in some parts of the country where Christians are killed. And we are longing for a president, a leader who would come and who will be able to bring peace to our land. Who will rule with justice and fairness. And you ask yourself, is that ever going to happen? Well, I'm not a magician. I'm not going to Tell you if that's what is going to happen next year. But what we can be certain about is that God is still on the throne, no matter what happens. And he will never leave his people. And he will never forsake them. And he uses even the most wicked of kings, as we reminded ourselves last week, to accomplish his purpose and his plan. And so there is a kingdom after these four kingdoms. A special kingdom. One that Daniel says is set up by the God of heaven. This is a kingdom where God himself is king. This is a kingdom that is cut out of a stone not by human hands. And you see, the fourth kingdom which was Rome was a kingdom that ruled and was ruling the whole earth. When a man appeared from a town that was so insignificant, a poor and humble family. But this man came with a message. And this man was born in extraordinary circumstances. His birth was announced by an angel to his mother. And the angel told his mother that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And this man performed miracles. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He was challenged by authorities of the day. He was rejected. In fact, some said that he had. An evil spirit. But he referred him to himself as the one who fulfills all that God had intended for Israel. And on one occasion, he referred to himself as a stone. And that this stone, everyone that falls on it, is broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, It will crush him. And back to our text. Daniel says, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold. And Jesus says, I am that stone. And what message did he come with? He came with the message of the good news of a kingdom. A kingdom that leaves all these four kingdoms. A kingdom that shatters and destroys all those kingdoms. And when he came on the scene, he said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. That he is the king of that kingdom. That everlasting kingdom that shall never be destroyed. The kingdom that Daniel says starts small. But eventually fills the whole earth. what is the way to that kingdom? The only way to that kingdom is through the king himself. The only way through into that kingdom is through this king laying down his life for his people, for his servants. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was, was ready to destroy his servants. But Jesus gives his life for his unworthy servants. You see, you have no reason to remain an enemy of the king. You don't have to be at war with the king. Because you can be reconciled to the king. So the demand is not for you to walk your way into the kingdom. The demand is simple you can come to the king, you can know the blessings and the peace his kingdom. See, because his kingdom is not a democracy. I know that we we so much love democracy and we want to protect it as much as we can. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is not by majority rule. No, Christ is the king. And he sets the time of his kingdom. And we don't, you know, pick and choose what we're going to obey. We don't say in this one, I'm going to obey the king and in other, I'm going to defy him. And we don't sit together and say, oh, you know, well, some of those things, do we actually have to obey? No. Jesus is the king. He is the one who reigns. See, I'm, to an extent, I, I love the Queen of England. She'll Pastor Andrew be praised. And Americans wouldn't be. So I think we have a balanced <laughs> a balanced um, service. But when I watched her coronation some 70 years ago, you admire and you love all that is going on. A few weeks ago, she celebrated 70 as a queen. But someday, she will no longer be on the throne. Her rule will end. She will be gone. And someone else will take over. But Christ will never abdicate his throne. Christ is always on the throne. And though today we we look around and it seems as though nothing is going to plan, but we know that as Daniel has said, it will start small and fill the whole earth. The kingdom of God is spreading all over the whole earth. And it shall continue until he returns. And nothing will stop that. God's kingdom will come. God's kingdom, yes, hasn't come in its fullness and power. But as Jesus said, the way to that kingdom is through repentance and believing in him. And this was the dream that troubled the king. This was the mystery that he struggled with. I hope it's not still a mystery to you. I hope that even as you've come to, in a sense, understand this, you're asking yourself, is Jesus my king? Because on the heart of every single person is a throne. And someone or something reigns there. And if Jesus is not the one that reigns on your heart, then it is still a mystery to you. But if he's the one that reigns on your heart, then you know that you are safe in his arms. You can be encouraged, you can be strengthened. that though it feels as though the kingdoms of this world are winning, we know that someday the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. Well, again, I want to ask, hope this is not a mystery to you anymore. Because the king goes on to to promote Daniel and his friends. To acknowledge God as the God of gods and the Lord of kings. But immediately after acknowledging him, he goes on in chapter 3, which we will come to next time. To build an image. Because again... The matter is the matter of the heart. We can all sit here and be, and be captivated. But go back and live as people who are not part of the kingdom. And live as people who are still enemies of the king. And build our own images and our own gods and idols. I pray as that God would help us. Amen.